Hey, what's up? It's Moses. Baby Moses, as you can see. I'm just a little helpless baby floating down a river. I, is anyone else concerned about this? Little baby floating down a river? Hello? I, are we okay with what's going down? Really? Alright, so here's what's up. I'm a Hebrew. And we Hebrews live in Egypt. Which is a nasty place with lots of sand and stuff. And the Egyptians, they, they don't like us Hebrews. And they're real mean to us. And make us work hard building monuments and buildings. I mean, it's a total drag. Like my dad, I mean, he works all the time. He's never around. And it's because of this guy, Pharaoh. I mean, what a piece of work this guy is. He's like the king, um, but he's still all scared of us Hebrews. Thinks we're getting too big and that all the Hebrew babies are going to grow up and overthrow him or something. I mean, seriously, look at me. I'm just a little baby for crying out loud. I mean, tell me, who's afraid of this face, huh? I, I'm too cute. And you know it. You're looking at me going, Aw, what a cute little baby. I, I get that all the time. All right. Anyway, so this Pharaoh dude decides that all the Hebrew babies have to be killed because he's afraid of Hebrew babies. I mean, it's crazy, right? I, am I wrong? I mean, seriously, this guy is off his rocker nuts. And my mom, Jochebed, like, she doesn't want me to be killed, of course. So she hides me in the house, you know, so the mean Egyptians who work for the insane Pharaoh can't find me and kill me. Uh, but she can't hide me forever. I mean, come on. I'm irrepressible. I mean, look at me. You just can't keep this cuteness hidden from the world. I'm telling you. People need them some baby Moses. So mom, or, or Jochebed, you can call her Jochebed, I, I just call her mom. I mean, she comes up with this plan to save me. And by plan, I mean, it's really more like a scheme, you know, kind of tricky and really not that well thought out. And it's to stick me in a basket and float me down the river. Why, you ask? I know I did. It's to keep me from being found by the mean Egyptian guys. Hey, over there. Is that a crocodile? Am I the only person around here concerned that a helpless baby is floating down the river in a basket surrounded by crocodiles? Hello? Grown-ups? Anyone? little help? Plus, I think this basket is leaking. Or I need a diaper change. Either way. Hey, did you hear that? It sounds like ladies talking. Yeah, look over there. Ladies. Fancy ladies come to get a little cleaned up in the river. Time to turn on the old baby Moses charm. It's irresistible, you know. Hey, ladies. Over here. My thanks to uh, Jaron Pitts uh, for his good work there. And the Bible does say in Acts chapter 7 that from birth, Moses' parents realized he was no ordinary child. He seemed destined from birth to be Israel's deliverer. And all the pieces seemed to be in place with training and background for that moment. But you might remember that when Moses attempted in the flesh and in his own strength to present himself as the deliverer of the Hebrews, it was a colossal failure. He murdered an Egyptian who was oppressing the Hebrew, thinking that his people would rally and recognize him as their appointed leader. But they rejected him and he wound up on the run from Pharaoh, a fugitive 
For 40 years, he thought he was somebody. And he spends the next 40 years in the desert concluding he's nobody. He felt as insignificant as the bushes that grew in the wilderness where his flocks grazed. But a bush is no ordinary bush if it's used by God. And neither is a man. And God was ready to spend the next 40 years showing what he could do through a nobody. But the challenge was going to be to get Moses to pick up the phone. So we're in this study titled Called. And we're examining some of the most important called text in Scripture. And I want you to open your Bibles to Exodus 3 for our next. Moses has been now for some time out in that desert watching sheep. Assuming his insignificance was a permanent status. And he notices a bush on fire. And this bush does not seem to be consumed by the fire. So he decides to investigate. Starting now in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he, Moses, had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses. Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals For the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? What an interesting response. Because you see, since childhood, Moses has sensed this is the right mission. The Israelites need to be delivered from their oppressors. God, you've got the right mission. But you've got the wrong man. And I think we can relate. Because we've all had calls for what we've wanted to say is, you've got the wrong number. Right? We do it with God. When God calls, our tendency often is to want to hang up. You know what I mean. You've gotten calls at your house before and you look on the caller ID and you know who it is. And you know before you pick up the phone what they're going to ask you. And so you don't want to pick up the phone. We all know what it's like to get a call we don't want to take. And sometimes that call comes from God. 
And like Moses, we want to hang up on that call and we we mask our reluctance under a guise of humility. But do not mistake the virtue of humility with the bondage of inadequacy. Now, humility that denies self is noble and good. But humility that denies God's ability to use us is rank unbelief masquerading as meekness. See, God knows who He's calling when your number is dialed. And by the way, God does not extend invitations. God gives commissions. And he, he doesn't like being told no. Because he's got the answer for all your hang-ups. So let me just walk you through some of the things that Moses and we like to say to God when we get the call. God calls. Maybe he prompts through a Holy Spirit, through a circumstance, through a brother or sister in distress. And, and we don't want to take the call. So the first way we try to hang up is we say, you know what, I don't hold the credibility. That's what Moses did. He was viewing himself as damaged goods. And so notice chapter 4, verse 1. What if they, the leaders of Israel, do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Now, that's interesting because just a few verses earlier, God had clearly said, you go back, you speak to the leaders of Israel, and they will listen to you. So basically what Moses is saying is, God, you're wrong. Have you forgotten my past? I tried this once and I failed big time. And he thought his past was irredeemable. He considered his reputation was too compromised to be of value to the mission of God. Now, God graciously recognized his hang-up. And so what God does is he allows Moses to transport The burning bush experience. God says, what's in your hand? A staff. Throw the staff on the ground. He does. And it becomes a snake. And the Bible says, Moses ran away. Which I think just shows you that Moses was smart. Because you know, I've told you, I am irrationally afraid of all snakes. One time when I was a teenager, I was playing golf and I was looking for my ball in some tall grass, which is what I do a lot when I play golf. And it was by about a six foot wide creek and I felt something under my foot. I thought maybe I've stepped on my ball. I looked down. I am standing on a coiled water moccasin. Now, you're thinking to yourself, there is no way a boy standing flat footed with a golf bag on his back can clear a six foot creek. But you would be wrong. Properly motivated, it's a doable feat. So Moses runs away from the snake. And then God says something amazing. Pick that snake up by the tail. The last thing you do with a deadly snake. And it becomes a staff. Then God says, put your hand in your cloak. And he does. And it comes out, it's leprous. There's no cure for leprosy. This is a terminal condition. God says, put your hand back in your cloak. And he does, and it's restored. And what's God doing? He's saying, Moses, 
all those things that men consider deadly are harmless in my hand. And that goes for Pharaoh too. Who, by the way, had a headdress with a snake on it. You see, God is not calling Moses to play God. He's calling Moses to represent God. Moses needed to understand, this is not about your credibility, Moses. This is about mine. God had made a promise to his forefathers, to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. I will bring your descendants back to this land. It is God's credibility on the line. Moses forgot that. I think sometimes we do too. We get so upset about our past and how it's disqualified us. And we need to remember something. It's not your reputation that matters. It's God's reputation. And when you fail to pick up the phone that God has dialed for you. You're making God look bad. So stop being hung up about your credibility and hold up God's. Because God's got a past too. Check it out. He's got a pretty impressive track record of coming through. And His past can trump your past. And His future always brings deliverance. God is able. So pick up the phone. But Moses, you see, and you and me often think, yeah, God, you're able, but I'm not. And we hang up and say, God, I don't have the ability. Moses realized he could not use the ears of his audience as an excuse, so he tried using his mouth. Look at verse 10. He said to the Lord, oh, Lord, I've never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. We talk to God as if he dialed the wrong number. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God does cold calls? He just goes through the phone book trying to find somebody he can make a sale to. God knows who you are. He knows your flaws. He knows your inadequacies. He knows your incompetencies. God knows the closest you're going to get to perfection until Jesus comes back is the next time you fill out a job application. God knows this. I heard a story about a man that went to see a psychiatrist. He said, I have an inferiority complex. The psychiatrist did a battery of tests and came back with the results. He said, good news and bad news. The good news is you don't have a complex. The bad news is you are inferior. Well, the truth of the matter is, in some level, we all are inadequate. But God isn't asking for your ability. He's asking for your availability. He's not asking you to do a work for Him. He's calling because He wants to do a work through you. And so God says, verse 11 and 12, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. See, God never commissions and then abandons. If He says to Abraham, go to the land, He says next, 
that I will show you. If Jesus says, go into all the world, he says next, and I will be with you always. God never commissions and abandons. And whatever God expects, he empowers. If God asks you to get out of the boat, you'll walk on water. I don't know how many times in my ministry I've experienced this. Where, for example, I've stood in the hall of a hospital and inside there's a family in crisis. And what am I going to say? How am I possibly going to say anything that's going to unravel the mystery of this kind of pain and suffering? And I can't tell you how many times I've prayed outside that door, Lord, I have nothing here to offer. But you promised if I would step out in faith as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, your Holy Spirit would give me words. So I'm going through that door. And I'm going to speak for Jesus. And God always shows up. He often waits until we have stepped out in faith to do what the call is asking. But He always shows up. Max Licato tells in one of his books a story of John Eglin. He was a deacon in a small church in Colchester, England in 1850. It was a January Sunday. A huge blizzard had come through. He got to thinking, man, it's just too bad weather to try to go to church this morning. But he was a deacon in the church. He felt he had a responsibility. He walked six miles in the snow to get there. But evidently, most people thought it was too bad. Only 13 people in church that day. Twelve members and one visiting teenage boy. Even the preacher didn't show up. Some said, well, we should just go home. But Eglin said, no, we should worship the Lord. And they said, well, you're going to have to preach then. He'd never preached a sermon in his life. He only preached for about ten minutes. He made no point in the attempt to make several. But toward the end of his address, he looked at that visiting teenage boy and he said to him, young man, look to Jesus. Look, look, look. That boy goes home and writes in his journal that night. I did look. And then and there a cloud lifted from my heart. And the darkness rolled away. And in that moment, I saw the sun. That teenage boy's name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He went on to become one of England's greatest preachers. He led tens of thousands of people to Christ. John Eglin never knew how God used him that day. Our confidence is not in the size of our offering. It's in the size of the God we bring the offering to. Any old bush will do if God is in the bush. But some bushes don't want to be set on fire. And so Moses gets desperate and says, I don't want the responsibility. 
he recognized that God doesn't call with options. God calls with orders. And so in a last act of desperation, he tries something called the truth. He said there in verse 13, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Not me, God. Good mission. I don't want the job. Isn't it amazing how quick we are to offer to serve God in an advisory capacity? Great plan, God. I love the mission. And I am here anytime you need coaching or advice. But I don't want the job. But equally amazing is how quick God is to see through fake humility. And the next verse is stunning. Then, up to this point, God has been remarkably patient. But then, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And why is God angry? Because this is no longer about Moses' lack of confidence in himself, but his lack of confidence in God. His expressing doubt in himself is really expressing doubt in God. He's casting a vote of no confidence in the Almighty. That's what you and I do when we get a call, a prompting from God, and we hang up. Our actions are manifesting our belief that we think God is either a liar or a bumbler. Now, I know those are strong words, but think about it. God gives you a call. He puts before you a spirit-produced opportunity to step out in mission. And you hang up the phone. You are either saying, God, you don't know what you're talking about. You picked the wrong person. Or else you're saying, God, you're just not big enough. You and I together try this. We will fall fat on our faces and look stupid. And God's anger burns. I want you to notice God never gives Moses a motivational speech about having a positive self-image. He does not say, Moses, I want you to read my new book, How to Win Friends and Influence Pharaohs. He does not say, Moses, I've got on the back of my minivan a sticker, My Servant Moses Made the A.B. Honor Roll. He does not say, Moses, repeat after me, I think I can, I think I can. Because Moses' problem wasn't his view of himself. It was his view of God. And when we hang up, we are saying, God, you are not adequate enough to compensate for my inadequacy. But have you ever considered that your inadequacy was the reason God called you? In the first place. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians says. Brothers. Think of what you were. When you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that 
no one may boast before Him. Now, Paul does not say that God doesn't call any adequate people. But He doesn't call many. Because He wants the boasting to be in His power. Not in your competence. Not in your eloquence. Not in that big degree you got at that big school. In fact, Paul uses himself as an illustration of this principle a few verses later. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. God calls you so that His power in you will call attention to God. You're just a clay pot. But somehow when God's brilliance is poured into you, it shines even brighter. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show. This all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so you see, hanging up on God is giving up on His power. Now friends, that's not being humble. That's being doubtful of the grace of God. A young man in graduate school was assigned to go and preach one Sunday at a small church in the country. And he happened to let it be known that he felt like his gifts were too impressive for such a small church and a pitiful assignment. But a wise friend that heard him said, You know, the world's a better place because Michelangelo did not say, I don't do ceilings. Think about it. The world is a better place because John Wesley never said, I don't preach in fields. Because Mother Teresa never said, I don't do street people. Because Martin Luther King never said, I don't do marches and prisons. I'm glad Noah never said, I don't do boats. And Rahab never said, I don't do spies. And Ruth never said, I don't do mothers-in-law. I'm glad Peter never said, I don't do Gentiles. That Paul never said, I don't do correspondence. That Mary didn't say, I don't do feet. I'm so thankful Jesus never said, I don't do crosses. 
And I wonder how much more of the kingdom of God would be visible on earth if we would stop telling God what we don't do. You see, God has no choice but to use clay pots. But a pot is like a staff and a bush. It can be used to do amazing things if God holds it. See, here's the deal. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And the real key is trusting that if I make myself available to God, He'll make His power available to me. I'm starting to understand more and more, I'll be less inhibited when I believe I really am inhabited by the Spirit of God. I really am. God really did keep His promise. He poured the Spirit of Christ in me. I really am now a vessel for the display of the glory and power of God. You see, I had it wrong as a boy. I thought as a boy that Christianity was learning all the things I'm supposed to say no to. I'm supposed to say no to cussing and I'm supposed to say no to drinking and I'm supposed to say no to premarital sex and I'm supposed to say no to R-rated movies. I was wrong. I don't endorse any vice. But I'm realizing now, being a follower of Jesus is living every day in the flow of the Spirit looking for all the things I get to say yes to. Every day I get to say yes to planned and unplanned opportunities to display the brilliance of Christ. What an exciting, liberating way to live. See, the issue is not if you're capable. The issue is are you available and are you willing to be flammable? And so, this next week, just for seven days, try this. Just seven days, see what happens. Start every day with this prayer. Lord, Help me say yes to you today. Lord, help me say yes to you today. And see what happens. It could be awesome. So, Father, now in Jesus' name I pray that you would allow this message to be heard, not, Father, in any way so people would think more of me. But so they'll believe more in you. In your reality, in your presence, in your power, in your mission. In your pleasure to use clay pots to bring glory to Jesus. Lord, help us. Learn to say yes. For we believe this would bring glory to Christ. And that's why we ask it. Amen. So let me ask you now to stand.
We believe God is really enough. And as we sing this song, if you're ready now to accept Christ, follow Him, and be baptized into Him, we would like to invite you to come do that right now. Every weekend, people get baptized here. Maybe today is your day. And as they come, we're going to praise. We're going to affirm to one another in song, God is enough for all He calls us to do.